I know we've been doing a lot of eating uh, over this Thanksgiving week, but who's ready to feast on God's word this morning? Amen. All right. Uh, Open, please, to the book of Hebrews. We begin uh, the book of Hebrews. It'll take us into this next year through the holidays. And uh, really, there's no better book for us to focus on in this season than to focus on uh, Christ uh, manifested in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews begins, uh, Hebrews 1.1, long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hallelujah. And the whole book of Hebrews is, is the speaking of Jesus um, to us in the church. Now, um, the theme of the book of Hebrews is better. Even in, the, in those two verses that begin, it's, it's Jesus brings a better word. Bring, Jesus brings greater clarity from the Father about the Father. Jesus gives us greater access uh, to his presence. And, and over and over again, Throughout this book, we're going to see better, 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 better. In chapter 1, really, it's a better word. Chapter 2, a better salvation. Chapter 3, better than Moses. Chapter 4, better access. Chapter 5, a better high priest. Chapter 6, a better promise. Chapter 7, better than Melchizedek. Chapter 8, better covenant. Chapter 9, better sanctuary. Chapter 10, better sacrifice. Chapter 11, better faith. Chapter 12, better kingdom. And chapter 13, better obedience. So it's better, better, better. So if you liked your iPhone 11, the iPhone 13 is better. If you liked your old running shoes, you're the, new, the new model is better. You liked your old car, the new car is better. If you liked the old covenant and the revelation of God there, the new covenant is better. If you appreciated the access that there was to God's manifest presence in the Old Testament, you won't believe how much better we have it today and to the new covenant. So it's better, better, better. Everything's better. And with that comes the exhortation throughout the book of, of Hebrews to be current with what God is doing. And with that, I invite us to, uh, we're going to jump into the middle. We're going to come back and pick up Hebrews 1 next week and look more thoroughly at why Jesus is a better word from God and, and who Christ is in the way chapter 1 unpacks all that. We're going to come back to that. But I want to jump into the heart of the book and go really to one verse <clears throat> that it's the key to sitting under this book for the next few months. And it's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, whenever you study any book of the Bible, there are two essential questions to ask. Who's the author and what's the audience? The two most essential questions. 
uh, before we dig into our verse this morning of Hebrews 3, verse 7, I want to just address by way of background. So who's the author of the book of Hebrews? Well, um, people used to say, well, Paul. Uh, obviously, Paul, there's so much of Paul in the book. Well, I've got 21 reasons why it's not Paul, but I'm not going to discuss it this morning. That's not the point. Some say, well, it was Apollos. He was a, a, a great orator, a great Bible scholar. He would teach like this. Well, I, I don't think so. Uh, some, in fact, there was a, one of the greatest uh, seminaries in our country, an evangelical uh, bastion of truth, the president of that seminary just published a book, uh, I think it's about 300 pages, on why Luke is the author of the book of Hebrews. Uh, there's many reasons for that. Obviously, whoever wrote it uh, traveled with Paul, and so Luke has that. Um, thinks like Paul, Luke has that. An accomplished uh, writer, Luke has that. Um, one who is systematic in his thinking. Luke has that. And then you come, and this isn't the only reason, but you come to Hebrews 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharp in any two-edged sword. The, the wording there is of a medical procedure. Uh, it's a scalpel cutting to join and marrow. Luke was a doctor, and so he would logically write something like that. So there's, there's good reason um, for that. Others say Barnabas, and um, so Barnabas has a lot of that. He traveled with Paul, and clearly the, the writer of this, because the writer refers at the end of the book to Timothy, uh, so he knew Paul's circle. He obviously thinks like Paul. Nobody was exposed to more of Paul's preaching than Barnabas uh, and his logic and, and all that, and uh, just turn with me for a moment to the last chapter, 13, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 22. This is the summary of the book. Um, this, this one verse is really the bottom line of the whole book of Hebrews, where it says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And what he's doing here is he's saying his entire book is one big word of exhortation. He calls it brief, I suppose, compared to what he could have written. It's brief, um, but it's a word of exhortation. Now, the word exhortation here, some of you are familiar with a few Greek words. It's the word paraklesis. It's the word translated, four different words. Exhortation, as it's translated here, encouragement, uh, comfort, or counsel. It's a compound word, and klesis, the root of the word, is to call, para, the prefix, is to call alongside, para alongside. So it's called alongside. So therefore, it's comforting, it's counseling, it's encouraging, and it's an exhortation. So you can translate this any way. But the whole book of Hebrews is encouraging, it's comforting, and it's an exhortation. What was Barnabas' nickname? He's the son of encouragement. So here, doesn't it make sense that it could potentially be Barnabas, the son of encouragement, writing a word of encouragement? 
Then go to uh, just one more, uh, Hebrews 3, uh, back to verse 13. It, and here he says, but exhort, or it's the same word, paraklesis, which means encourage, but encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. I love that. It's, he kind of coined a phrase. Do it every day as long as it's called today. It's, it's a play on words, but what he's saying is do it every day. If today is still called today, do it today. That's the idea. Encur but so what he's saying, here, he, he, the son of encouragement, is stoking the coals of our encouragement or spilling over on us to be encouraging. So there's good reason to suggest it could be uh, written by Barnabas. Bottom line, if God wanted us to know who wrote the book of Hebrews, he would have told us. So, interesting thoughts. But when it comes to the audience, this we absolutely know. The audience is a church that needed encouragement. A church in the middle of hardship. A church made up of believers and unbelievers, uh, those that were legitimately born again and those that may think that they were but really weren't ever born again and, and calling all that are in the church to faith in Christ activated today by the word that's being spoken. That's the book of Hebrews. It's one big word of encouragement to a church struggling for encouragement, a church going through trials, a church that had been followers of Jesus long enough to lose the joy of their salvation, to even ask some honest questions about, is, is, is my faith all that I thought it was? Am, am I going to continue in obedience to Christ? We move from the book of Acts, which is all the beginning of the church. Now we come to the book of Hebrews, which is not the beginning of the church. It's more those that are now in the church, and it's God's word for us in the church. And the theme is better. Now the word better is used 13 times in the book of Hebrews. It's only used 15 times in the whole New Testament, and, and of those 15, 13 are in this book. Um, and how many chapters are there in the book of Hebrews? 13. Now, it doesn't work out that it's used every chapter, but it, it's equivalent to once each chapter. But here they are. Hebrews 1.4 talks about Jesus being better than angels. Hebrews 6, 9, better things. Hebrews 7, 7, better blessing. Hebrews 7, 19, better hope. Hebrews 7, 22, a better covenant. Hebrews 8, 6, the word is actually used twice in this uh, verse, but better promises. Hebrews 9, 23, better sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 34, better possession. Hebrews eleven sixteen 16, better country. eleven thirty five 35, 
better life. 1140, better salvation. In Hebrews 12, 24, a better word. And it's that last better that, that we want to camp out on, that Christ gives us a better word. It's, it's a clearer explanation that we find in Christ of who God is, of what his presence is like, of access to his presence, and the way that Jesus provided for us to enter in to that presence and the covenant love relationship that we now enjoy with the Father because of his better word and better sacrifice. And because you and I are living under the better, to whom much is given, much is required. And the better salvation, the better covenant, the better word, the better access to the Father brings with it greater accountability on us. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews allows us many, many times, seven times that I've counted, strong warnings as believers, warnings of close but not in the family, close to salvation but really not saved. There are places in the book of Hebrews that will leave you startled. Am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, uh, last Sunday when I got in my car uh, and was exiting on the Lilburn side out to 29, I saw this right in front of me. Now, I could not believe my eyes. Those were some of the finest skid marks I've ever seen in my life. It was a perfect circle, a perfect circle. And, and, and it was like infinity. I mean, it was like, at first I thought, and I'm a, I'm a preacher, so you see sermons behind everything. And, and you, you, you think you hear God all the time. And so as I'm looking at this, I, I'm, I'm hearing a prophetic message from the Lord. And I'm thinking, oh, praise God. This means that our church is turning people's lives around. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 That people's lives are being changed in our church. Hallelujah. I thought, this is great. But then as I thought longer... I, I, I looked at that, and that's not a 180. That, that's not a, a simple slam on the brake, turn your wheel, and, and go the other direction. This is not even just a 360. This is a 720. In fact, it's a 1080. That is three donuts. I mean, they... they Crank that wheel. I mean, either they got a new Corvette for Thanksgiving or something. But 
Somebody was out having the time of their life, and they left half their tread right out on, our, on the street in front of us. This is an unbelievable thing. But I thought about this, and I thought, no, Lord. There are people in our church who slammed on the brakes at first to take a closer look, but are still spinning their tires undecided. And when it's all done, their lives haven't changed at all. They still end up going in the same direction they came into that intersection. They spun around three times, a 1080, just kept going. God, God, don't allow that to happen here. I hope you this morning can say, God, don't let that happen here. I don't want to be someone just spinning my tires long enough to to show up at church on a Sunday and go on and live my life like I've always used to. That's not what we're here for. That's not what Jesus came for. That's not what this book was written for. And the antidote for that kind of a life that may feel thrilling for a while, but how monotonous would it be if, you, if your life got stuck spinning your wheels in an intersection over and over and over and over again and nothing changes and you end up going down the road in the same direction you got here. That is not God's will for your life. The antidote is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, (laughs) so there's several key words in this verse. Today, the first word, today, is a word of immediacy. It's a word of the moment. It's a word that God wants to use to jar us, to exhort us, to snap us out of our spinning our wheels in an intersection of life. Today, don't live in the past. Don't live with your regrets. And don't worry about tomorrow. Today, God calls you to trust him. Today. Some of us spend our whole lives worrying about what we did wrong in our past, about the wounds we incurred and, 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 and living with an identity that's rooted in who we used to be before we met Jesus. That's not today. Today, when you hear his voice. Today, God does not want you, your, God does not want your identity linked to who you used to be. He wants your identity to be linked to who you are today. Today. 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't live for tomorrow. Today. You're not going to figure it all out. You're not going to have all the answers. And we're going to come in the book of Hebrews to one champion after another. Wait till we get to the book, the chapter 11 when it walks through uh, so many of the champions, starting with Abraham and, and going to uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and, and through so many of the champions. God dealt with them today. When God called Abraham, he, he, he didn't have all the answers. God, he didn't know, how in the world are you going to make out of me a great nation? I don't even have one child. And then he got a miracle child. And then he was led up uh, to the mountain to sacrifice his son. He didn't know how it would work, but he obeyed today. Today. Now, I cannot convince you of responding today to God's word. But I can show you how it works. When God speaks, this is a primary tool he uses, this book. God wants you to receive his word from this book. But this book is not the only way God speaks. He always speaks by his spirit, and this is the sword of the spirit. This is the rule by which every other word from God is judged. And the more time you spend in this book, the more you will hear from God. Isn't it amazing what a direct correlation there is between the time we spend in this book and the amount of, t of words we get from God? And the more familiar we are with this book, the more we can discern what it is that God is, is speaking to us. So it's not, are we talking here about the written word? Or are we talking about the prophetic word? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Now we are living in a day when the pendulum is swinging perhaps too far from the written word to the prophetic word. If when you wake up, you're more inclined just to listen without touching base here, you, you're, your listening is going to be impaired. The, you know, we are the generation where we have so much at our fingertips. And the fact of the matter is, this little servant, our handheld device, can become our master and dominate our thinking so that what God is saying about situations in life, about decisions we have to make, about what's going on in our nation and in the world may be shaped more by news feeds than by the word of God. And if that's the case, I call you today to repent. And I believe there's room for all of us to repent on this issue. 
I'm going to just tell you two things that God asked me to do recently. One was to take my Facebook icon on my phone and put it on the third page of my what, what I have access to and, and put it in a wallet in, on the third page. And the other thing he asked me to do was don't even look at this until you sit with this. To start every day, not here, but here. Now, I'm not telling you to do that, but I'm, I'm submitting it to you as something that the Holy Spirit, I know this was a word from God for me. It's, it's, it, this has only been a month, both of these. But putting those in place has already like been a, like a breakthrough, like a damn break into my soul of reorienting me and stabilizing my life and my perspectives and constantly feeding me. Why would I care what somebody else is thinking more than what God's thinking? We have to do something. We have never had such access to the opinions of people than we do today. Well, what are you going to allow your life and your thinking, your worldview, to be shaped by the opinions of people or the word from God? God God said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that is not only scripture, but it sure does start there. And the more time we spend listening here, the more time we hear from here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today, when you hear his voice, expect every day to hear his voice. In fact, we we are exhorted here in chapter 3 to not only have a word every day for ourselves, but to have a word of exhortation for others. To share. Not once a week when we come to church, but every day. This ought to help and stimulate and serve you as you hear tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. But every day there ought to be a word from God. Today, when you hear his voice. God is an imminent God. God is a God in the moment. When we sang, I love that song, the great I am. Think of it. When God identifies himself, who is he? I'm the I am. I just am always current, I'm always now, and I'm always speaking now, and there's a word now for you from the God who is now. Today, even in the Christmas story, the word today 
in the city of David is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Today, it's the imminence of Emmanuel, the imminence of God's presence, the imminence, the now of God's being. And he wants to manifest himself to you now, today. Today, when you hear his voice, in the Old Testament, they, they use the word hearken. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, hear, O Israel, hearken, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, 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 the hear, today when you hear, in the New Testament, he was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now it's interesting, it doesn't say what the Scripture says. God often speaks through the Scriptures, but it says what the Spirit says. The Spirit speaks here, and the Spirit speaks here. Sometimes the Spirit speaks here. We're the ones to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. And the final warning in this scripture is do not harden your hearts. It makes perfect sense. Do not harden your hearts. You know, it's impossible to harden your heart without a word from God. You will never find that in scripture. The hardening of the heart only comes when the word of God comes and is not received with obedience. So in order to harden your heart, it requires two things, a word from God and disobedience. The only way to avoid hardening your heart is to not get a word from God or to obey when you do get that word. You see, when you were born again, God performed heart surgery, really a heart transplant. It says that God took out your heart of stone and put within you a heart of flesh. Well, a heart of flesh is soft, pliable, tender, alive, receptive. A heart of stone is as hard as it gets. When you harden your heart, you are making a conscious decision to revert back to the way you were before you were born again. And that's why, not just once, but three times, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3.7, as we've seen, Hebrews 3.15 and Hebrews 4, verse 7. Today, when you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't allow the word to just keep you spinning donuts on the highway. Obey it. Amen. Hear it. Receive it. Obey it. Hearing with a predisposition to obey is what's called for. Today when you hear, hear with a willingness to obey. 
Not to figure it all out, not to take God's word under advisement and then check with five other people what they think about it. Just obey it. And obey it now. Isn't it great to have obeyed God years ago? Maybe for some 30 years ago, maybe uh, some a year ago, we repented and we came to faith in Christ and we obeyed Christ. But that's, that's not, that's, that's good. But today is better. Amen. Obey today. Yes. There is an urgency, there's an imminence of obedience. It's as if delayed obedience is disobedience. God's not into delayed obedience. When Abraham left his family and went to the promised land, he, all he knew was he was going somewhere. When he went up to the mountain to sacrifice his son, he did not know that his son would ever live off that mountain. He could only see what was in front of him, and he obeyed what was in front of him, and he met God. Some of you are waiting for all the answers. And in the meantime, you're just doing donuts in the highway, and God says, would you, don't, don't keep spinning. Don't keep going in circles. Today, when you hear his voice, just take one step in the right direction. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, I read a cute story of a red squirrel in Fargo, North Dakota. The owner raised uh, black walnuts uh, as a side job he was out of town for four days, and he left his Chevy Avalanche outside. And when he returned, there were black walnuts everywhere. And he found them in the glove compartment under the hood. None of them were in the bed of the truck. And so he called his insurance agent. I wish I knew what insurance company he had, because... Within a day, the guy comes out and removes from the floorboards, from the glove compartment, from the side pockets, from, from the engine well, removed seven buckets, seven five-gallon buckets with black walnuts, 175 pounds of black walnuts from his Chevy Avalanche. Now, I said, Lord, that, that's so, such a good story. How can I work that into my sermon this morning? Just, somehow that has to fit in. But let me just say, some of you have memorized Scripture. You, you, you've learned this word, and you're storing it up in the wells of your automobile. Big deal. God wants you to obey. Amen. He wants you to, he doesn't want you just to accumulate knowledge without obedience. 
Don't just store up walnuts. Plant them, eat them, harvest them. Sell them so others can use them. We don't need to sock away the word as much as we need to obey it. If you've been squirreling away scripture that sits there and gets old in your soul without living faith in a living God who is now, it's time for action. It's time for you to obey. And all this hinges on faith. We're going to get to it in Hebrews 11. Without faith, uh, uh, it's impossible to please God. All the, everything, every better in the book of Hebrews is calling you and me to trust him. Because it's tough to obey him if I don't trust him. It's it, without faith is almost the the transaction point that takes the word into action. I have to believe it, and that's why the book of Hebrews calls out, points out, and exposes the sin, the ugly, the deadly the gross, immoral, disgusting sin of unbelief. Nestled in here is verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, look at that. Maybe sexually immoral evil heart. We always put sexual immorality with evil. Deceitful heart. But the the bottom line issue here is the unbelieving heart. And there's no doubt that this is the sin that so easily entwines itself around us that we are to break off in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. But before that, it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, throwing off the sin that so easily entangles. The sin that so easily entangles is unbelief. And you know what unbelief is rooted in? Unbelief is rooted in your inability. Faith is rooted in his ability. If you are stuck in in an intersection of life doing donuts on the asphalt, revving your engine, making a lot of noise, putting forth a lot of effort, and going nowhere. There's a good chance you have been more focused on what you're unable to do when it comes to obeying God 
And you're not even thinking that if I took the first step, God would empower me to take it from there. I call you, church family, today to begin to repent of unbelief. Begin today to repent of focusing on your inabilities rather than focusing on his abilities. That's the call of God in the book of Hebrews. Would you stand with me in prayer? I want to lead us in a moment. Father, your word is living and active. Your word is alive and it brings to life. Your word is revelatory and brings to light. You've exposed in my heart and most likely in a few others this morning the sin of unbelief, of failing to trust you in our failures, in past experience. But this morning, Father, we call on you to lead us in repentance. Lord, I confess my sin of unbelief. I confess that my unbelief has led to some disobedience and some delayed obedience, but has got me spending way too much time focusing on my inabilities rather than on your abilities. And today, Lord, I repent. I repent. Lord, I shift my focus from my inabilities to your ability. And Lord, I want you to coach me in how to elevate and prioritize your word in my daily life. How to protect my, myself in, in listening first to your word rather than people's opinions. Lord, that the scripture and your prophetic word would be what shapes my thinking more than the newsfeed. Lord, work this reorientation into my life and into our church family. We pray, Lord, for a lot of 180s as we study our way through the book of Hebrews. A lot of letting go of good in order to take hold of what's better. Before I finish this prayer, with our eyes closed, I just want to ask, if you want Jesus to expose your unbelief, and you want Jesus to speak his word to you daily, can I see your hand? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we say yes. Yes. Today, when we hear your voice, we are not hardening our hearts. We want to be women of action, men of action, 
people of obedience, growing in greater maturity, hearing your word, knowing the sound of your voice, and responding quickly. Lord, work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.